when I think about you, I often kind of describe you as a time traveller. I guess I describe everyone as time travellers, but you're the person who's brought that idea across to me the most. You know, you were 58 when I was born, so you've always been from a different time. You're someone who was in the Second World War that I was studying in history at school. You know, you lived in that time and been through that time. You've been through the 60s. You've travelled through to the 80s with Thatcher. You've been through time and you can report to me what those times were like. And that's why I see you as a time traveller. What do you think about the idea of, of you being a time traveller as people? People being time travelers. It's true, but I'm not so sure that I could give you the same view that I would have given you looking back on them. Right. No, that's true. I mean, I've well, I've known you before dementia and after dementia, and I can I, I can agree and 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 co-author that information. Like definitely now, you when you go back, you tell different things. Sometimes you tell new bits of story that I didn't know. But you have not got the the same ability to like pluck out a full moment in time and communicate your experience of it to me in as rich detail and vibrancy and accuracy as you used to. I haven't even got the ability to formulate it necessarily as as accurately as I did. I work in sound, right? I, I work in capturing capturing moments, capturing capturing time, capturing memory, capturing all of these things, locking them down. Um, but I'm very well aware that, you know, you can record on a sound card and then lose everything and it will become ephemeral and kind of you had it and then you've lost it, which I guess is kind of a little bit like the way that you process the world now. You, you're storing it on a sound card, but then often the sound card get, yeah, disappears or breaks. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. sunless sea memories of my dad specific content note for this episode it will discuss euthanasia and suicide episode three we are all time travelers Time is the longest distance between two places. From the moment you are born, you are travelling through time and through spaces that you can never fully see, even though they move through you. My dad was conceived between World War I and World War II. I was conceived on a drunken New Year's Eve by two people whose journey had already ceased to be in the space between 1980 and 1981. My journey through time had begun. My father is 93. He can access memories from almost an entire century. When I talk to him, I'm talking to a person from the past, and every time I say goodbye, I wonder if it will be the last time. 
We measure how long we've been travelling, which decade we have found ourselves in, by what's no longer there. Everyone you meet is a time traveller. When you talk to them, you talk to a person from another time. It's taken me 35 years to get to this exact space I'm standing in and I've got no idea where I'm going to end up next. Time is the longest distance between two places. Even when we are no longer here, we are always in time. I wrote that poem a few years ago when I was a slightly younger man and so was my father. I haven't updated it because the rhymes don't work when you change the age of my father. But he is now 95. And the quotation that that poem starts with is by Tennessee Williams and it's from The Glass Menagerie. Well, I've got that poem that I wrote called like, We Are All Time Travellers about like, part, mostly about you, partly about you. But like, that's remember. the thing, like, you're, yeah. you were born in a different time, you've travelled in time and now you're seeing things like from the past, like you have the eyes of somebody from the from the past. Well, but I, before my dementia I did, yeah. Well, you know, even still, even still, because the memories that you what, do yeah. have... Oh, oh are yes. from the past. They are. I mean, in a yeah. way, you're kind of coming from two different un- different places mm-hmm. now. You're you're coming from the past, oh. but you're also coming from a, a, a with a brain with a different kind of way of processing things. Yeah. So yeah, you're coming yeah. at it from two angles now, I guess. Yeah. No, the the memory, the unfortunate thing about a dementia thing is that, of course, I can't necessarily remember what they were like. I mean, normally, you, I, one would remember what they were like, and then you can then you've got a direct. Um, so you're not sure... Alternative, if, yeah. to, you know, to, 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 to compare. So you're not sure if, you, if, if the problem is that you can't remember them... Exactly. Or, or if it's that they're not right. Exactly, exactly. My dad isn't just a time traveller. He is someone reporting back from a different world, a distorted and confusing landscape. He has a different operating system from the one that he used to have. Sometimes it's like there's someone else inhabiting my dad. Other times it's like my dad inhabits someone else. He reports from the land of dementia now, more frequently than he reports from the past. I have changed that my life now, life is life, to me, is life number two. It's a difference that, that from the age... Well, from literally from sort of when I was became conscious of life and that, you know, year one or something, until I was 87, I lived the same life, which was to me a life of normality within Earth's existence. But then I began to deteriorate physically, and then I became demented. And at that point, as my neurons began to collapse or whatever, I actually moved into a second life, which is what the life I'm living now. I am not the person that I was before I was 87. 
I mean, that's something that I can observe too. You're a different person from the person that I first met. When I first started to be fully aware of you as a fully rounded person, I don't know when that was, sometime in my childhood, but, but since then, you've definitely changed. But then when I think about your life, you know, you're 93, and I feel like you've been a lot of different people, really, like not just the before dementia and the after dementia. You've also been lots of different people through your life, like very different uh, life circumstances. to me, though, within that... They were all within that that sort of normality of earthly existence. Of course, I changed within it, as everyone does. I, I varied, you know, but it was on the basis of that original life. The change was within the life, not from it to another. Right, and so you really do feel like you're a, like... a different person. I do feel I'm a different person. When he first began to notice he had dementia... He thought he had Alzheimer's disease and he went around telling everyone this very eloquently. This confused and worried them in the way that big scary words confuse and worry people. I kept suggesting that he didn't frame it that way, that maybe he used slightly different words that didn't confuse and scare people. Your memory issue is much more, I think, to do with short-term memory. You forget things that happened last year or last week loads. And so I'm always having to continually remind you of new information. Yes, that's But the the old stuff is quite well stored and you kind of... No, it's not. Okay. It's a different failure. It's, It's... Well, it's within that, of course, that you then run into the, to, to the same kind of problem because you try to think of a cameraman's name. Right. Uh, you know, I'm trying to I do it now. As yeah, I but think. that's, that's, that's uh, something that I do anyway. You uh, do yes, it a lot but, more, but, a but lot, then, lot more. But, but you've then also, also I'm, I'm not aware of my feelings at the time right, okay. in the kind of way that you are. You know, that's you can actually remember, oh, I said this to him. and he Maybe I can, Dad. Oh, I, I couldn't know. stand that. Not... Well, all I can think of is, oh, yeah, it was awkward, wasn't it? It was something happened that day. I can't, you know. Yeah, OK, that's definitely a, a, that's a, a change. I don't, yes. I don't know if I remember my feelings accurately, though. You never really do. No, you I mean, always we, have. You rewrite stuff, and I misremember stuff, and I've got false memories. I mean, that's just being human. Yes. But I'm, I'm not but saying that you're not in a, a kind of more deteriorated form of it. Form yes. of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not denying that, ever. You know, your your experience is much more important and real than anything I'm going to say. You you know you better than anybody else. Maybe. I, Maybe. As much as anyone can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think outside perspectives are also interesting. I'm, I, but I, I do think that it's not my place to tell you how you feel. It's, it's you know, that's not what I'm ever doing. But I think it's, you know, I find you, like, you are not the same as you were. I agree with that. But you are still able to interact a lot more than uh, than sometimes you give the impression to out to people who don't know you very well. You've definitely made out that you're much worse off to people than you actually are, <laughs> and then they've been surprised at how uh, together you have been. Which, of oh. course, you don't feel like you're together. No, so I get that. Well, I, I, <laughs> I never feel like I'm together, and people no, think but... I am. It took a while to get a diagnosis because my dad was defensive. He acted like the questions were being asked in order to catch him out. That can be a general issue now. He is busy bluffing, concentrating on giving the appearance of normality, performing himself, pretending he can hear, pretending he understands things. 
but he did get a diagnosis. Mild dementia caused by an undetected stroke. So now he tells everyone that he is demented, which is technically true. How do you experience memory now? I mean, how would you describe the process of of remembering something now? It depends what it is. If it's something a very, very long time ago, I will probably remember some aspect of it or something, but will not be able to expand from that into a general overall understanding of it. That's one failure of the... um, You see, I've forgotten the name of what I... Dementia. Dementia, yes. That is one of the failings of dementia. The other one, of course, is the more immediate one, where you forget actually very literally, you forget almost instant memory, so that when you're in a conversation, you, you, you remember what you started the conversation about or something, and then you suddenly, you're in the middle of that conversation, you can't remember what that was. This is very annoying throughout life. Right. So when you're thinking about anything, you can never guarantee that you're, you will have a sort of coherent relationship to it, which you do have if you have memory. When did you realise that things had changed in terms of your memory? And You say to people a lot, you know, that you're demented or you have dementia, which is true, you do have those things. But demented sounds different from someone experiencing dementia. Uh, So that's a bit of a surprise to people. But also when you first started thinking about it, you thought you had Alzheimer's, which you don't have. Yes. Well, it has many of the characteristics of Alzheimer's. Words don't matter. What what it's called doesn't matter. Your experience is much more important. But I went to the memory clinic with you. They looked at your brain, they scanned your brain, and they found that you'd had a couple of strokes, or at least one stroke, and that you were experiencing a mild form of dementia, is what they said of it at the time. I, I, I appreciate that it's deteriorated since then. I agree with that. Do you remember... I mean, this is it's such a funny thing to to ask, isn't it? Like, asking people to remember when they stopped being able to remember something is almost a kind of paradox. But do you remember what it was first like when you first started to think that you were getting dementia or, or suspecting that you might have Alzheimer's, that, that moment? What, what, do I remember how I felt at the time or what I thought about it? Both, yeah. I can't remember. I really can't remember. I'm sure I was preoccupied by it, but uh, I can't remember what I thought about it at the time, you know, whether I thought it was the beginning of something that was going to get worse or whether I thought it was something that could be got rid of. I can't remember at all about that. His ability to understand and process things isn't just limited by his memory, which has definitely got worse in the time between his diagnosis and when I wrote the original draft of this narration and between when I wrote the original draft of this narration and now when I'm recording it. It is also limited by anxiety. He becomes worried he will forget things, panics and gives up. I can understand this as someone who experiences similar moments of anxiety where my worries and fears freeze my brain and stop me from being able to make connections. Because you are worried about it, you get anxious about it, and that anxiety makes it harder for you to remember those words. And I think that's something that everybody commonly experiences when when people forget a word. Because you're stressing about remembering it, it makes it harder to to get it out of your brain. But but, but for you, it's 
it's a frustrating thing. It's a constantly frustrating thing, which makes the anxiety about it kind of have more Im- impact on your on your ability to think. I think Quite that's my probably. that's my cod psychology of your. Yeah, you may well be right. Yes. Situation. Yeah. My dad is also depressed. Depression is a reasonable reaction to losing the ability to think and remember clearly and to deteriorating mobility and the loss of pretty much all of your senses. His hearing, sight, smell and even touch are very much reduced now. Depression is another thing that I also experience. When I'm depressed, I don't care about food or drink or any sensory experiences, but I can have them. And often they will be important parts of the process of making the numbness that surrounds me and is inside me thaw. I sabotage myself by denying these experiences to myself, by telling myself that they are meaningless. Dad is being sabotaged by his body, by his material conditions, rather than by his internal state. I can relate to the anxiety and depression that my dad experiences, but he finds my experiences harder to relate to. He hasn't really known depression until now, and any anxiety he may or may not have had has never been diagnosed. If he has had anxiety in the past, and looking back, I think he probably has, it hasn't got in the way of him living his life. Suddenly, at 93, he was dealing with having mental health issues, ones that did get in the way. Most of the advice that I could give him about managing those experiences was not useful to him. Most forms of self-care involve using your senses, and most of his senses are now lost. Reading, eating, watching TV, exercising, meditation, even socialising, aren't things that can bring him much solace. I mean, how has dementia changed you? How would you describe its change on you? It's changed so many, many things, so much about me. It's almost completely changed me. Uh, There's a sort of there's always this attempt to go back to life one there's always this attempt to so and occasionally you know there are there are there are remembrances occasional remembrances or partial remembrances of what it was like to be like that, but most of the time I can't even remember that you know i i I just have to try to live with what I am. I mean, it's interesting that you describe it like that, though, because what I experience coming and meeting with you, because I come to your house every day, to this flat pretty much every day, and when we talk, I find that you are kind of almost a memory machine in that you will, like, a lot of the time you're describing lots of, like, moments in your life, you're going over them. Yeah, you forget things about them, but but you can't stop going back to memories quite often. No, I mean, it's what I want to... No, I am totally preoccupied with trying to be, remember or be or whatever with the life that it... the life that was. Right. Yes, I mean, that... that is one of the strange things that I find about dementia. Certainly for me, I wouldn't... can't generalise it, but that... um, I forgot what I was going to say. I forgot. 
This, well, the strange... This is what happens all the time. You're in the middle of talking, and then you suddenly... You, you totally lose what you're talking about. Right. I mean, and that's something that's familiar to me or to you in life one. Like, we, we all have moments when we lose what we're talking about, but it happens at such a frequency. And it's not just that you forgot, you forget the whole context, not just the word or the... No, it's total. It's absolutely total. I, you know, like I was suddenly thinking of then of something I wanted to say to you. And then I can't remember what it was. It go. It, it's not actually that you can't remember. What happens is you remember, you 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 reach out for something, and it sort of goes away from you. It's not like so not remembering it. It's 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 very strange. The act of trying to remember something sometimes has the opposite effect of pushing it away. Right. Whereas when you aren't trying to remember something, when you're just sitting with me, you often can't stop yourself from remembering things. No. You go off on, on into the into the past and you get interested in some experiences, but then you get frustrated when you then you start to reach for them. You start to reach for what you want to remember and that's yes. when you can't remember the things. Yes. Yes. I have had depression and anxiety since my teens, although I've only really come to understand that in the last twelve years. My mental health issues have become intertwined with my personal brand as a true storyteller. I started to wish that I didn't exist, that I could be erased. I just wanted everything to stop. I've made a show about the traumatic events that have contributed to me having these mental health issues. I've spent six years trying to get therapy through the NHS. And when I wrote the first draft of this narration, I was going through a 20-week course of talking therapy i mean do you remember when i was a kid i like you probably don't i guess that's that's part of what we're talking about mm -hmm. but like mm -hmm. i remember realizing that well in that moment i i was thinking that when you had died your memory just stopped you couldn't remember what you'd been you wouldn't be able to remember anything about who you were and uh, I woke up kind of, well, I guess I was probably already awake, but I was lying in bed in your flat in Coventry worrying about that. And I came into your into your bedroom and woke you up and said, what about if, if when you die, there's nothing, there's nothing? What about if you if everything you've known, everyone you've known is just deleted, like who you are, everything goes? And you were like, that might be the case. But if it does, you know, we've got now, we've got now where we're alive and we 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 can enjoy this regardless of of where it goes i don't remember that that's interesting i don't remember that conversation i can conceive of it you know i mean when you mention it it sounds totally credible to me but can't remember it myself i mean that's the thing it's it's, it's complicated isn't it i mean often the big significant moments to you are not remembered by the other people in the room but at the same time it's still strange to think because I think you would have remembered that I think we've what? talked about it. I've written songs about it I I've talked to you about it before but it's but but now uh, it doesn't I ring any bells it, yes but maybe before I was demented I would have remembered it but I don't remember it now I think even if you hadn't remembered the moment you'd probably have remembered me telling stories about it or singing songs about it yeah. um, which clearly none of that rings a bell at all now
My dad and I have a very open friendship and we talk about everything. Although for a chunk of my childhood, I did keep him in the dark about some of the traumatic things that I was experiencing. But now that he has dementia, he can't always remember the things we have talked about. So I found myself regularly having to retell him my mental health journey. I would say, I'm going to therapy. And he would say, why are you going to therapy? And I would say, because I have anxiety and depression. And he would say, oh, I didn't know that, do you? When did this happen? And I would answer him. And this would lead to more questions. The real problem was that both at school and at home, I gradually learnt to be a coper. I wasn't able to admit or articulate even to myself for many years that I experienced regular cycles of anxiety and depression. I think it was a mix of the fear of looking vulnerable, a sense that I deserved to feel these things, and a sense that I was too privileged and too good a coper to be really experiencing them. It meant that for years I thought that I couldn't use these labels. My dad has seen the show that I made that documents these issues numerous times. And for a few years, he regularly listened back to that show in its podcast form. Over the years, we've had really long and, for me, very useful conversations about mental health. It's really hard for me to keep in mind that, despite all of that... He can no longer reliably travel back. I instinctively assume we have a shared history, that we have a shared language. And then I realise again and again that we don't. Not anymore. So I would tell him everything again. And when I did that, I had to see him be sad and surprised about all of these things that he had already been sad and surprised about. It's only in the last five years that I've realised that I've spent my life hiding things from people. I didn't tell my dad or my friends about the way that my mum and my stepdad were treating me. I didn't tell my parents about much of my bullying experience. It's taken me years to start to be truly open and honest with myself and with others. I would feel guilty once again for not having told him about some of the things when they were happening. If I had, maybe they would be more embedded in his memory. I often felt like I was stuck in a time loop. It's Groundhog Day. Again. Some days I didn't want to recount my mental health history, especially when pushed for time. No one wants to talk about all of their deepest, darkest traumas and complexities in a rush when they have to get going to do something else. Most days I didn't want to recount my mental health journey to someone who should already have known it. It's a lot of conflicting emotions to recall during a spare hour in a busy day. My mental health history wasn't the only thing that I had to repeat to my dad almost daily, but it was the thing that made me the most sad to repeat. It's really strange to hear my dad talking about his depression, saying things that resonate so strongly with my experiences, but to know that unlike when I feel these feelings, he has physical, material reasons for them. Considering giving up at 93 is very different 
from doing so at 38 or 35 or 25 or 15. I have so much more life yet to come, so many different times that I still have to pass through. I've been talking to you recently about it being like time travel, like you're a person from the 1920s, and here you are in in 2013. Yeah. You know, you've time travelled. 1930s, really, I suppose. You can't... You were born in the 20s. I was born in the 20s, yeah. But, you know, I suppose you have... Formed in the 30s. Yeah, Fair enough. I'll give you that, for sure. Th- you know, became conscious. And yeah, like I'm... Uh, like, like 30s, mid, yeah. mid-80s mid to mid-90s is yeah. when I'm probably most influenced by society, yeah, sure. Mid-30s <sighs> to mid-40s, then. yeah. You've seen massive change in your lifetime. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, it's pretty... It's pretty massive change in any lifetime. I yeah, think. No, a life a lifetime yeah. is that, yeah, is change. Yeah, yeah. Life is changing the world. The process of life is life passes through you and at the end you are changed and the world is changed. Both things change each other in some way. And that that we are all changing the world, whether we like it or not. You've lived through change. That's been your life. So you might not have noticed it that much, I guess. But you may suddenly have moments where you're like, this wasn't oh, how yeah, my life I do. Yeah, was. I do. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, I often have sort of moments of sort of memory, you know, related memory like that, to sort of thinking about the, the change, the difference, you know. That's quite true. For him, there is only losing more and more of himself before ultimately dying. He frequently brings up euthanasia, something he thinks should be available to everyone through the state. When he does that, we talk about how I will not help him do that if the time comes. When the time comes. If it hasn't been and gone already. My reasoning being that quite apart from it being illegal and so putting my liberty at risk, it is also not something that I want to live with. I don't want to carry the experience of killing my father with me nor do I want to deal with the feelings my siblings might have about that so I remind him that there are alternatives to euthanasia that he can take matters into his own hands but he never really fully likes that idea or at least he didn't when I originally wrote this narration. I don't know. I think at a certain point, you know... <laughs> yeah. Become, I, I still believe, you know, that human beings should be allowed to be treated by their doctors like Sam was treated by the vet. Yeah, I agree. You say, well, you know, he's, he's not going to get any better. And, you know, it's like, you know he's, not, he's miserable, he's not... Da, 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 da. We both agree. Uh, I mean, yes. I agree with the right well, to you can't, die. I think, you should, yes, I think you have, should have the right to, to you know... To die, yeah, yes. absolutely, you if should. You wish to, yeah. Absolutely, I, yeah. I absolutely think you should. And everybody who gets so worried about that being exploited, they're not completely yes. un, unrealistic. People, or, it can be exploited, suicidal people, for example, often 
ch- change their minds, but you know, yeah. we should be looking to change situations that make people want to die. Yeah. Uh, if if we have a world that makes people want to die, what are we doing about that? But certainly, if 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 you don't want to live in the conditions of your body, in whatever that body is, yeah, well, I you know, and you're of sound mind, whatever that yeah. means, I think you should have the right to yeah. die. Yeah. Um, but I can't give it you. No, you know, no, only no, the no, state can. No, no, no. And I'm not. You know, that's the that's the thing of it. Yeah. You know, or you've no, got. No, to, just, no, or you've got to take it into it your own hands. But, yeah. You know, that's well, that's, right. that's that's the well, only. Yes, but I'm anyway, not suggesting. I'm not, like I'm not making I'm not, suggestions. I'm not like Sam was. You know. Well, Sam. Not, I mean, he was—he'd reached the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you've reached the stage, and I'm not suggesting no, no. anything. I, I want to no, make no. it very clear that I'm not suggesting anything, uh, legally or mo- morally or personally. <laughs> but I, I mean, I just mean that that's that's your only options at this moment. He wants someone else to do it for him, so it can be a peaceful passing, the way that Sam, our family dog, passed away, compassion and love rather than violence. He just ate a piece of sausage and went to sleep. Also, he doesn't want to get it wrong and find himself still alive, but having lost even more. I can understand that. But these conversations always used to end with him saying, it isn't time yet. And they always used to end with me wondering to myself if maybe it is the right time. Because there comes a point where you can't take matters into your own hands anymore and it seems to me that you need to make the choice when you still can both physically and mentally we got a dog didn't we the fact we got a family dog so what was the dog's name sam (laughs) and who was sam what was what who was sam what was his personality well, it varied who you talked to. I, I mean, I, his personality was fine as far as I was concerned. Well, I never said his personality wasn't fine. <laughs> uh, what was well, he when like? he came to us, I mean, he was a stray, wasn't he? He, yeah. he had been a rescue dog, so he had been cowed, and he was very, you know, he, if you if you picked any object up, he would sort of think. He was ner- yeah. nervous. We raised your about, yeah, yeah, he was very very nervous. Yeah, because I was. Uh, you know, built this tale years over the years that in fact he must have come from a sort of drunken Welsh farmer who drank whiskey. Oh, and and because he was scared and, of whiskey, and, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, he was. He didn't like like whiskey. Yeah, if you whiskey glass near it, he'd sort of go away. And he didn't like sharp noises. Yeah. And what did Sam look like? He was basically a hound, but he was also basically a terrier, wasn't he? I yeah, mean, I he think acted like a hound. A cross between a greyhound and a, a Jack Russell or something. Something like that, Which yeah. pretty much yeah. describes what he was or like. Even, yeah. Yeah, because when he was young and sort of thin, he looked more like a greyhound. As he got older and he got heavier, he looked more like a sort of hound, a foxhound. Yeah. Sam was a rescue dog who fitted very well into my family because he was also neurotic. When he joined us... My dad was living as a lodger in two rooms of my mum's house and looking after both me and my little sister, who has a different father. There was an element of neuroticness about I it. I think he was neurotic, yeah, but and, and, and that sort of fitted with me. <laughs> and well, with, well, with everybody in the house. <laughs> yeah, and, well, yes, I wasn't going to say that, but yes, of course. The significant thing that happened in that house with Sam was that he jumped out the window. window. Yeah, the first floor window. Yeah. 
and must have run down the wall. Probably, I don't you know. You think he ran down the wall? Like, he must know. have done something. Must I mean, yeah, it... I mean, a cat would run down the wall, but he, he couldn't. He wouldn't do it consciously like that. But whether his feet actually touched it. Because Dad went over the road to go to the shops, and Sam wanted to go with him and raced through our first story front room, jumped out of the the window, and me and my sister were shocked, and uh, I couldn't look down. I thought it would be like I thought it would be splat. You know, I thought it would be an unpleasant sight to look down Absolutely. so I closed the window and then we went downstairs and we opened the front door and Sam just limped there. in didn't That's he right. yeah and we sort of thought wow he's, he survived that yeah he did although he did end up having to he later had to have an life. operation later but that was after he'd hit the leg the bad the leg that he'd first sort of hurt and when he jumped out of the window then he banged it against a, a door fitting Oh, right. And that's when he actually had to have the operation. Have the operation, and he yeah. had pins put in his leg and all sorts, didn't yeah. he? And I guess he had quite... In plaster. His yeah, yeah. In plaster. I remember. I don't know, about a... Three bandages years. around it and yeah. everything, yeah. Late in his life, he kind of had arthritis as a result of all of yes. that, probably yeah. as a result yeah. of that. Yes, that was certainly a big contributor. We all loved Sam, but my dad was the one who really bonded with him, taking him for the most walks and spending all day with him. When we all left to live in different places, Sam went with my dad. I mean, he came to live here in this house with you. Yeah. He was fine when we first came. I mean, how old was he then? How long were we in Cardiff? 95 to... uh, That's seven or eight years, yes. So he must have been about eight, eight or nine. So he was sort of well middle-aged. And he finally moved in. But he was still, you know, he could still run and everything. I still took him out on the bike over the common. He'd run along behind the bike. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dogs move through time differently to humans. And when they left the house, Sam was in the prime of his life. During the next few years, Sam caught up with my dad in terms of age. He was an old dog who still thought he was a puppy. Dad was an old man who still thought he was a young man. They related. In a way, it becomes disastrous as you get to the age where you realise that you are old and it's inescapably, you know, that you're old, but you still re- insist on going on, on be- you know, behaving like the adolescent you have always throughout your whole life. Yeah, but that's kind of like what you always used to say about Sam when Sam got old. Like, he know- he thinks he's a puppy. <laughs> you know, like, you can't change the way you feel inside. You can- no. You, you know, the rest no. of it happens, whatever. Mm. But then Sam overtook Dad and became very old and disabled. He couldn't keep up with my dad anymore. He lost more and more quality of life. When we decided to put him down, it was my job to dig his grave in my dad's back garden. As I dug down into the earth and made space for him to rest, Sam was standing above me, looking down at me, wagging his tail. Because he had a kind of stroke, didn't he? had a sort of stroke, yeah. And he uh, deteriorated. After that, he really deteriorated. Yeah. Was it in this room that Sam died? Yes, it was actually. Yeah, yeah. He was put down, wasn't he? That was uh, that's yeah. the, the, yeah. the the expression yeah, the people used. Yes. Yeah. Well, sensibly so. I mean, he was very happy. He was lying in his basket actually, with people all round him, and I was handing him bits of sausage. Um. And then he has this one. I mean, she just shaved a little bit of his arm. He didn't like that. And then 
I mean, it just gets this one quick plunge of the syringe and a huge dose of barbiturates, and he just changed. His eyes, yeah, I mean, his eyes changed completely. The light, you know, the life and or life light, you can call it either. This went out. But I mean, he was in, you know, then we picked him up. You dug the grave. I did. I mean, that's what should be able to happen to humans, but it doesn't. It's not allowed. Yeah. Now my dad has caught Sam up, but we're not allowed to give him a piece of sausage and let him fall asleep. It was a very odd experience being in somebody's grave and looking up at them. I mean, I say somebody. I mean, I know it's only a dog, but... I know. He was... He, he didn't feel like only a dog, no. did he? That's the thing. No. So here is his grave, yeah. and at the moment it's got daffodils on it. Yeah. You always have flowers on it, don't you? Yes. It's not sort of all that well tended, but yeah. Yeah, it's, flowers not, and grass. it's messily tended, but yes. lovingly tended. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got, got a, a picture of him. A, yeah, that Tony drew. Engraved by Tony, yeah. On his gravestone. Yeah. And it says, here lies Sam... 1995 slash 6 because he was a rescue dog so we don't know where he came yeah. from to 2008 we had the wake here didn't we we all came together yeah. our family from yeah. all over the place yes. yeah uh, came came yeah. the year again. after that's right a year yes a year on the after. day the same day a year after we did and there's his bowl <laughs> his bone <laughs> and his collar they're all here <laughs> they're surviving pretty well Without the aid of a time machine, the human body doesn't just move through time. Time moves through the human body, changing it. And as that body changes, so does the mind that inhabits it. We can only physically move one way. The only way we can reverse time is by remembering the past and ultimately time will stop us doing even that. Our actions are always irreversible. That's what I try to remember when I feel like I don't want to go on. If I choose to die, it is a choice that lasts forever. But seeing my dad ravaged by time, I don't want to last as long as he has. At 38, I have plenty of reasons to live and to keep living. But I definitely don't want to live forever. When I wrote this original narration, I was regularly having these conversations about euthanasia on days when I had spent a big chunk of time fighting off my own, much less justified death wish. In some ways, it felt like we were in very similar places, despite coming from very different times. And at others, all I could feel was the gulf between our understandings. But the one thing I knew is that we would probably have the same conversation tomorrow or next week or the week after that. It's been two years since I wrote these words and we're still having that conversation any time we see each other. He insists on it. Each time we have it. It's like he's been reset. But I haven't. I still remember.
next week's episode, I'll be asking two doctors to tell us more about what dementia is. Down to a Sunless Sea on the Getting Better Acquainted podcast feed or through its own dedicated feed. Both should be available anywhere that you get your podcasts. And if that's not the case and it's missing from a directory that you'd like to listen to it through, do let me know. You can find Down to a Sunless Sea Memories of My Dad on Facebook and you can follow it on Twitter where it's at sunlesspod. If you want to email the show, the address is downtoasunlesspod at gmail.com. The episodes and the show notes are all collected together at downtoasunlesspod.com. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm at goosefat101. doctor said to you uh, when you got your diagnosis that everybody will experience probably a form of mild dementia as they get older. Yes, yes. I mean it's old age is what you're yes, yes. experiencing. Mind you, I, think that, I, mean, I think it is increasing to an extent. Yeah, 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 yeah. but your age yes. is increasing. Well, yeah, quite. I mean you're 92 years old, it's an incredible to me because I, mm-hmm. I did not it's expect... It's incredible to me. <laughs> well, right, I didn't expect you to live this long. Well, I didn't expect it. I mean, all my, all my grandparents, you know, my, my youth, when my grandparents died, they were in their 70s, and that was the, accept, that was the expected age then. It's definitely, you know, there has been an increase in longevity, uh, life expectation. Yeah. There are many people now in their 90s, well, there were none there, there were, well, virtually none there. Absolutely. There were eight, one or two people in their 80s, but most people died in the 70s, the latest.